Well, on December 1st, 1955, a 42-year-old woman ended her day working as a seamstress at a department store and climbed onto the bus to make her way home. Now, this woman was of multi, uh, was multiracial. Uh, she had in her background Native American. She also had some Irish, but she was predominantly African American, which meant in 1955, she was expected in Montgomery, Alabama, to sit in the colored section of the bus, which she did. She made her way onto the bus. She paid her 10-cent fare and then proceeded to go and sit in the front row of the colored section. But as the bus told along, more and more people were getting on. And pretty soon, the front white section became full to the point that three white people were having to stand. And so at one of the stops, the bus driver did what most any other bus driver in Montgomery, Alabama would do. They would get up, they would move the sign designating the color section back a couple of rows and ask the blacks to move further back to create space for the white people. Well, there were four black people sitting there and three of them got up and moved, but one did not the 42-year-old seamstress, and her name was Rosa Parks. Rosa's actions began what became known as the Montgomery Bus Boycott. It led to all sorts of ramifications. Some of the positive ramifications were that, uh, I'm sorry, some of the bad ramifications were that Rosa ended up getting arrested. Uh, she, <laughs> I thought this was funny. She was charged $10 fine with $4 in court costs. I think nowadays it would be, you know, hundreds, thousands of dollars, uh, you know, but it was $10. But worse than that, she started receiving all sorts of death threats. She lost her job. She ended up having to move out of Montgomery, Alabama. And she and her husband went to Detroit, Michigan, because they could not find other work. And, and it was getting really, really dangerous for them. But some of the positives that came out of it were that her court case, when she got charged, she and her lawyers immediately appealed it. Because if you went into the law books, you would see that she actually didn't break any laws. She was charged with disorderly conduct, and yet all she did was remain seated. She just said that she got so tired of the injustice because she had paid her 10 cents just like everyone else. And yet she had the right to that seat. And yet she's being told she had to move, that others deserved it more than she did. Well, it ended up going all the way to the Supreme Court. And just over one year later, the Supreme Court ruled that that was unconstitutional, that her rights had been violated, and they desegregated buses all across America. This ended up leading to some of the, the actions of the Civil Rights Acts of 1964 and 1968, and Rosa Parks went on to become hailed as a hero. But I want you to think about what Rosa went through in those moments. I mean, first there was the, the personal pressure that was going on right there inside of the bus. I mean, she, she's sitting there and she's got this white male bus driver yelling at her to move. And if she doesn't move, he's going to call the police and she's going to be arrested. And she just calmly says, you may do so. And when the officer showed up, he's saying, ma'am, you've got to move or you're going to be arrested for disorderly conduct. And she says, I have a right to the seat. Why are you doing this? And the officer just said, I'm sorry, but it's the law. And yet, Rosa goes on to have uh, scholarships named after her, foundations named after her. That there, there have been statues made in her honor. That the, the bus that she sat on is now in a museum. You can go in and see the seat in which she refused to move from. Like, she is hailed as a hero. Why? 
Because in the face of the personal persecution and in the face of all of the cultural pressure, I mean, these Jim Crow laws had been in place for decades. There had been a couple generations of people that this was all they knew. Whites and blacks do not mix. They are to be segregated out. And for her to do what she was doing was just unheard of. Other people had attempted things like this, and it often ended up in their death. And yet, she stood, I mean, she sat still, stood her ground, and is now hailed a hero. Which means, she's not honored today through scholarships and statues and and all of that for simply rebelling and breaking the law. No, she's actually honored because of her perseverance. Think about it. The people that we are in awe of, the people that we honor, part of why we honor them, part of why we're in awe is because of their perseverance. The, take, take Olympic athletes, for instance. When, when we see them achieve these amazing uh, uh, athletic feats and they step onto that medal stand to receive the gold, the silver, or the bronze, we're, we're in awe, but not just because of what we saw But because, unbeknownst to us, we're actually in awe of the perseverance that they showed. Because they had to go through extreme training. They they disciplined themselves in multiple areas of life in order to achieve what they achieved. I am convinced that if you are going to see the type of success that you long for in life, it's going to require perseverance. You want to do great in your job? You're going to have to persevere. You want to achieve high marks in school? You're going to have to persevere. You, you want to have a great relationship, whether a marriage or another friendship. You're going to have to fight for it. You're going to have to work at it. You're going to have to persevere. If you're a Jesus follower and you want to have a deep faith in God, you're, you're going to have to keep reading. You're going to have to keep studying. You're going to have to keep praying. You're going to have to keep serving. You're going to have to persevere. And when you do, something happens within you. Today, we finish up this series that we've called Acts of Prayer. We've been looking at the Acts model of prayer, which stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We've already looked at the first three. We've looked at what it means to adore God, and we had our wall of adoration. We had this opportunity to just write the things that we adored about God. And then confession. We just spent some time confessing our sins, realizing how great and glorious God is and how we often fall so short of that mark. And yet God loves us so much. He forgives us and raises us up in Christ. And that then leads us to Thanksgiving. And so that's why last week we had an open mic time and just had an opportunity to just publicly express our thanks to God for what he has been doing, what he's already done, and what he will be doing in our lives. Just to say thank you. But now we come to that S, supplication. As I began my message this week, I just wanted to make sure I had a really good, clear definition of supplication. What is supplication? And I looked it up, and this is what supplication is. It is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly. Let let that sink in. It's the action of asking or begging for something earnestly. And suddenly you realize, wait, we're talking about this Acts model of prayer, And so when it comes to prayer, we are to supplicate, we're to ask, we're to beg. In other words, we are to persevere in prayer. Now, perseverance, when it comes like reading your Bible or maybe serving or, you know, in other areas of life, that makes sense. But when it comes to prayer, I I don't know, something just feels a little off. Like, like, like it almost feels wrong because it's it's this idea of we're going to persevere in prayer. It's almost like we become 
bothersome to God. Like we just keep pleading and asking. We become like a whiny little kid, just like, mommy, please, mommy, I want this. Give me, give me, give me. And something just feels wrong about that. And so when it comes to prayer, I, I don't know that we should persevere. <laughs> Why in the world would we want to persevere? Why would we even want to become bothersome to God if we love him and respect him? Maybe because Jesus actually instructs us to. That's what we're going to see today. So Heavenly Father, I pray as we get ready to open up uh, the scriptures that you would teach us. Lord, there are some people here today who they need to hear this. They need to learn this. You are inviting them to persevere, to persist in pleading before you. And so today you're going you're gonna to do something in them to change their prayer life. But God, I also recognize there are some people here today that have been praying on and on and on. And they feel like you are silent. It feels like their prayers stop at the ceiling. They, they feel like you, they are unheard and unanswered. And God, I pray that today you would encourage them that something that you have already said through the scriptures would impact them and they would walk out of here knowing you are calling them to continue to pursue you because you are working. So Lord, I pray you would do what you need to this morning through this message. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right, if you brought a Bible with you today, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 18. Uh, if you did not bring a Bible, I've got the scripture up on the screen. But again, uh, to my Riverwood family, I'm going to encourage you, bring your Bible every single Sunday. If you're a first-time guest, you do not have a Bible, we've got copies back on the Give and Grow table. After our worship gathering, totally feel free to pick one of those. Make it your everyday Bible. Take it with you. That would be our gift to you. If you've got a smartphone, totally feel free to pull that out. If you've got a Bible on it, and if you don't have a Bible on it, download one. That way, wherever you go with your phone, you've got a Bible with you. Uh, but today, as I said, we're going to look at this idea of persisting in prayer, of, of, of persevering in our pleading. And it's actually Jesus who instructs us to, the, to do this. And he tells us to do this through telling a story. And that's what we hear. So re let me read from Luke 18, starting in verse 1, going through verse 8. And he, Jesus, told them in a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? I see in here three things that Jesus tells us to do when it comes to prayer. This idea of persisting in prayer. The first thing I see him telling us to do is simply just bring your request to God. Like, as I read this, I don't just hear Jesus saying, yeah, you should pray. No, I, it's almost like he's commanding us to bring these requests to God. Now, I bring that up because I've actually met people who will tell me, you know, I, I will pray for other people, but I, I, I don't pray for myself. And, and, and by doing so, they're trying to say, you know, like, I, I don't want to be selfish. It's not about me. You know, the scriptures tell us to put others before ourselves, And so I, I don't pray for myself. And, and they're thinking they're displaying humility. But really, it's a fake humility. It's false. 
Because by not bringing your request to God, in a sense what you're saying is, God, help these other people. They need you, but I'm good. I, I, I got this. I, I don't really need you to help me with this because I, I can handle this on my own. So by you not bringing your supplications to God, you are actually insulting God. You're saying he's not big enough, he's not powerful enough, he's not good enough, or you've got this taken care of. By actually bringing your request to God, you're actually honoring him. Because you're saying, God, I bring this to you because you're the only one who can truly answer this prayer. And I think that's why Jesus says, bring them to God. Bring them, beg, plead, ask. Because God is the one who loves you, he is for you, and he can answer this. But some of us, it's, our problem is not that we don't pray for ourselves. It's that we do pray for ourselves. We just pray incredibly selfish prayers. I mean, I will admit and confess, I like to be comfortable. And so my prayers often reveal that. I, I just try to pray that I wouldn't be sick, that I would, you know, maybe have more money, that, you know, God would give me new shiny toys or things. Because we want to be comfortable. And they often end up being so incredibly selfish. You know, the scriptures does say that God will give you the desires of your heart. That's in Psalm 37, 4. But there's a, not a problem. What we forget is the first part of that verse. It says that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord. For when you delight yourself in God, then he gives you the desires of your heart. Because when you delight in God, when it's all about him, now when he answers your prayer, he's answering according to his way, to his will, and you delight in that. So he's actually giving you the desire of your heart because he's the desire of your heart. That's one of the beauties about this Acts model of prayer. This Acts model of prayer doesn't start with the supplication. It starts with adoration. That as you adore God, you are starting to delight in him. And as you confess your sin, you realize God forgives you of that sin. And that causes you to delight in him. And so as you display this attitude of gratitude, you start engaging in thanksgiving, you're delighting in him. So by the time you get to supplication, you are all about him. And now it reframes what you ask for. And your prayers often end up becoming less selfish. And they become more honest and true. And God wants us to bring those to him. But so often we just bring our requests to God. But we just pray for him, you know, once, twice, maybe three times. And I think what Jesus is saying is, no, don't, don't quit. And that's the second thing he teaches us. And that is we are to persist in our pleading. We are to persist in our pleading. Verse 7, right after Jesus tells the story, he says this, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? That, that recalls to me what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says to pray without ceasing, to pray continually. It means more than just always being on your knees and using words. It's more like a posture. It's you coming to this place saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And so it's just this persistence, this pleading, this attitude of, God, I need you. And you alone can deal with this. You're probably going to feel a little bit like Princess Leia in Star Wars, The New Hope. When she says, Obi-Wan, you're our only hope. You're going to be like, God, you're my only hope. Only you could take care of this. My uh, wife's cousin, her name is Cammie, uh, several years contacted me. She's now a missionary in France, but she used to live in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, she's been a freelance writer, journalist for a number of years. And she got 
brought on to help with this uh, group that were making some short films. They were taking some parables of Jesus, and they were shooting them into a modern-day setting. So thus they named them Modern Parables. And it's kind of fun to watch them because every once in a while I'll go, oh, look, there's Cammie because she got to serve as an extra in, in, the, in the films. But they're really, really well done. And what they did in these films was they tried to honor either a classic director or a classic film. So, for instance, The Prodigal Son, if I remember right, it's in an Orson Welles style. Uh, when they did um, The Hidden Treasure, it's in a Frank Capra style. Frank Capra uh, did A Wonderful Life, the, the famous Christmas uh, uh, show. Well, they also did the parable of the persistent widow. They called it the widow and the judge. And if I remember right, they shot it in the style of to kill a mockingbird. In this, they're telling this story right here. There is a widow who's going to a judge, and the judge is not giving her justice. The, the scenario they set up is that this widow who has asthma, she uh, had a small little pension from uh, her years of teaching, but she just doesn't have much money. And a construction company was to come and to destroy a house next to her, but they got the address fixed up, and they actually did damage to her house. And so the the construction company was not coming to making things right. So she goes to the courthouse and it says, I've got a case. And they're like, well, do you have a lawyer? She says, well, no, I can't afford one. And they're like, yeah, you really should have a lawyer. But if you don't have one, fill out these forms. So she fills them out. Well, on her way to the courthouse to fill out those forms, she goes across the street and almost gets hit by a car. And who is inside of that car? But the judge. And the judge yells at her that she's not using the right place. She's supposed to use the crosswalks over there and there and there. And he gets irate with her. So when he's actually sitting in the courtroom and they said, oh, we just got this new case in and he hands the paperwork and he says, well, where's she at? And he looks back and he sees the widow. He goes, she almost threw herself in front of my car. Add it to the bottom of the stack. Well, that whole day goes by and her case never gets called. And she comes back the next day and it doesn't get called. And she confronts the judge and judge is like, you can't talk to me about a case outside of the court. If you do, I will hold you in contempt. And then so she approaches one of the other workers. One of the other workers says, well, have you considered giving a donation to the courthouse? And the widow says, excuse me? She says, well, you know, it's the oldest courthouse in the state. And the judge personally oversees the fund to maintain it. You know, if you gave a donation, and the widow says, I don't have the money to give a donation. And the clerk just kind of shrugs her shoulder and says, well, good luck then. And that's when you come to this scene. Please watch this last scene of the widow and the judge. Why in the world would this widow, this black widow, keep going before probably a racist white judge? Because he's the only one who can give her what she needs. That's Jesus' point. The reason she, this widow in his story goes before this unjust judge who does not fear God, does not respect man, but the reason she keeps coming is because only he can give her what she needs. Likewise, God is the only one who can give you what you need. He's the one who can answer your prayers. And that's why you keep coming to him. And it actually honors him. It isn't about trying to wear him down. It's about actually bringing to him, saying, God, only you can do this. And as he answers that prayer, he's glorified. But I think there's one more thing that we need to realize. Yes, we bring our requests to God. We need to persist in our pleading but it's the third thing that I think Jesus is teaching us. And that is we need to trust for God to respond perfectly. Trust that God will respond perfectly. Uh, Luke tells a number of parables within his uh, re recordings of the life of, and teachings of Jesus. 
But on this parable, he actually starts it by explaining why Jesus told the parable. Did you hear it? It was there in verse 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. When, when you're sitting in the hospital, though, with a loved one who's been fighting cancer for years, and God does not seem to be responding and healing them, or you, you keep applying for a promotion at work and you keep getting passed over, other people keep getting it, or maybe you don't have a job and you keep applying to job after job after job and God's not providing you with one, or maybe you found out that your spouse is having an affair and your marriage is on the rocks and you've been praying for it like crazy, or you, you, you're, you can't get pregnant and you've been longing for a child and you've just been praying your face off and God's not responding it's really easy to lose heart. But what do you do when your prayers hit the ceiling? When, when, when they go unanswered? You've been praying about them for so long. Jesus says, don't lose heart. In fact, he finishes it off by saying, and nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Like when your prayers are going unanswered, will you still have faith in God? C.S. Lewis remarked that oftentimes when someone is just beginning to follow Jesus, God seems to respond to their prayers all the time. But the more they mature in their faith, oftentimes it seems like the longer God takes to respond. To the point that you have someone like the Apostle Paul who had a deep, 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 deep faith in God. And yet he's saying, God, please take this thorn in my flesh from me. And God says, no. It says, because God's grace is greater than our weakness. So that's why Paul says, I will rejoice. Because as much as he's bringing his request to God, as much as he's pleading for this, he trusts that God will answer perfectly in his timing. Because what we need to remember is that we follow a God who describes himself in Isaiah 55 as someone whose ways are higher than our ways and whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He sees all of time. You and I can't even see the next second. So who is it that really knows how to, this should be answered? It's God. And if we really start with adoration, we start seeing he is good. And when we confess our sins and we realize he forgives us of those sins, he does not hold them against us. He paid for them through Jesus. He took the punishment upon himself. It leads us to thanksgiving. And we realize he is a good God. So even when our prayers seem to go unanswered, we can trust and we can keep pleading. We can keep praying, knowing that he will answer in his time, in his way. He will respond perfectly. So don't lose heart. Keep the faith. Trust that your God knows you. He loves you. And he will deal with this in the right way at the right time. Sometimes he will give you justice speedily. Sometimes he wants you to just cling to him because he's better than the answer you're looking for. So please bring your request. Persist in that pleading, but trust that he will respond perfectly. And that's what we want to do today. We want to create some space today for you to plead, for you to ask, to beg, to come before God. But we don't feel that we can just enter right into that. Zach came up with a brilliant idea this week. If we're really going to frame our prayers correctly, we need to do this Acts model today. And so we're going to do it through song. We're going to make these songs our prayer. We're going to start with a song of adoration. 
just simply to glorify God and declare how great he is. And then we're going to move into a song that reminds us that Jesus died on the cross because of our sins. I'm going to encourage you to use that song as a time of confession. If you so desire, during that second song, it's called At Calvary. If you would like to come and take the communion elements back to where you're seated and use this in your time of confession, you may do so at that time. But if you want, you can use the song as a time of confession because then we're going to go into another song that you're going to be able to use as a thanksgiving. Just to say, thank you, God, for forgiving me of my sin. And if you so desire, after confessing your sin, during that song of thanksgiving, you may then come to the elements. If you're a first-time guest with us, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want you to know this table is open to you. If you are not a follower of Jesus yet, if you're not so sure about Jesus' death on the cross, if this is really a true story, I'm going to let you know that we're going to respect your decision to not be there yet, but we're just going to ask that you respect our decision to not have you come to these elements. These elements, when you take them, you are declaring Jesus' death on the cross for you. That bread represents his body. That cup represents his blood. And so when you take those into you, you're saying that his story is a part of your story. This is the center of who you are. And so if you need to use this during a time of confession, please do so. If you need to do it as an act of thanksgiving, you may do so. After we do all that, Ed Pavlik, one of our elders, is going to come up and he's going to lead us in prayer. And we're just going to spend some time in supplication. We're going to be asking, begging, pleading God for various things. He's going to help lead and guide that time together. But we're going to spend some moments there. So, band, would you come on up? We're going to adore God now through song. We're going to confess our sin. We're going to thank, show some thanks. And then we're going to uh, bring our supplications to him before we close with one last song. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would uh, be in this moment, that you would uh, work beautifully and powerfully, that as we declare your greatness and as we adore you, would you help us to see you for who you are? As we confess our sin, would you help us to see who we are? And as we express our thanksgiving, would you help us to see ourselves as you see us? And may that then lead into a beautiful time this morning of supplication that we would truly bring our prayer requests before you, knowing that you are a good God who can answer and respond to these in the, the perfect timing, in the perfect way, because you understand these situations far better than us. So Father God, would you now be glorified in this moment as you draw our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.